Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We are your hosts, David O. Eric V. And Carly R. It's so much faster in studio. Well, there's no latency. I know. It's fantastic. I love it. Is there a delay on your end, Carly? Like, is it slow, like, hearing us? No? I, I would take that so. as a yes. Yeah. It took yeah. It was a little there, bit there was longer a little bit now. Of yeah, there's a little bit of time. We miss you, and we can't wait to have you in studio, Carly. It'll be soon. All right. So today we are joined by our special guest, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Where are you from, Bill? Uh, I'm currently from Austin, Texas. I lived in Galveston, Texas when I first got sober mm-hmm. and um, then spent about a year in a little town called Dickinson, which is partway between Houston and Galveston, and a couple of years um, in a town called Wimberley, which is a small little town about 20 miles from here. Nice. And when were you first introduced to recovery? I was introduced um, really in a couple of ways. One, several of my friends were in recovery, and at least one of my relatives. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a month and a half before I actually made it into the rooms, um, I had someone uh, try a rather heavy-handed um, 12-step on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, it didn't work. But oddly enough, I remembered every bit of it after mm. my first meeting. Nice. So, um, it, in some way, it did work. It just took a month and a half to do it. I hear you. And uh, how long have you been sober? I have been sober for 20 years and just about um, 11 months. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. And with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Bill and I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is August 28th of 1999. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Mm. I came from a long line of proud Scottish drunks. <laughs> I, I say that because my father was an alcoholic his Mm -hmm. father was an alcoholic i presume that his father as well um on the other side of the family there were there were uncles and aunts and at least one great grandparent who were also alcoholics uh, more than one of whom met uh their end as a result of the disease Mm -hmm. but I grew up, uh, I really grew up in a single parent family. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, my parents had been divorced because of my father's alcoholism. Mm. And so I, I had a view of alcoholism based on all the tales that my mother told me about my dad. So as long as I wasn't doing those things, I was probably okay. Now, I had my first drink when I was about eight years old. Um, we were at family gathering, and um, family gatherings always, always involved lots of alcohol. Oh, yeah. And one of my uh, cousins handed me a can of Schlitz. Yeah. 
And I remember <laughs> taking a sip of that and thinking it was the worst stuff in the world. Mm. Of course, it was Schlitz. Little did I know it was the worst stuff in the world. Yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> but uh, it was just, it was that first little taste there. Not enough to, to really get any effect. However, it was not long after that that another cousin got married. And someone thought it would be funny to hand the kid a glass of champagne at the reception. Mm. And I think I got my other four glasses on my own. So I was the, uh, the silly little gig kid falling down all over the place. And I liked it. Uh, I remember not too long after that, getting uh, getting drunk at a friend's house on his mom's liquor. And then I just discovered that my grandmother always had a bottle of sherry or a bottle of port in the kitchen. So I could sneak a couple of drinks of that and feel jolly for a while. And yeah, it was just an every so often thing as a kid, but I, I enjoyed it. It made me feel different than I felt. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the way I felt a lot of the time. I was a skinny, nerdy kid. I didn't feel I could fit in. And uh, I wasn't I, I wasn't good at all the things that, that my peers were good at. Mm. So I didn't didn't quite feel right. But when I had a few drinks, I felt good. I felt energized and loose and uh I got to like that. Mm-hmm. As I got a bit older, um, I discovered uh, other things, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And I liked them as well. I continued to have drinks when I uh, had had them available, but I, I took to uh, I talked to some other things uh, in a very strong way, and. I only mention this because it helped me convince myself for quite a number of years that I didn't have a problem with drinking. Mm. Um, you know, I could say, well, you know, I have a few drinks here and there, but mainly I'm just a pothead. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. And it went sort of on like that for a long time. Um, you know, I, uh, I would have spells where I would drink to excess. Mm-hmm. And I think I was 16 years old when I had my first blackout. It scared the hell out of me. But the next weekend, I went right back out and went drinking again. Of course. Um, and so I went on for a number of years with... Uh, a little bit of, of this and a little bit of that all at the same time, but convincing myself I didn't have a problem with the alcohol hmm. and uh, and that the other was not going to be a problem. It just wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then in my, uh, my late 20s, the woman I was at the time getting divorced from disappeared with my daughter Mm. and uh, at the time it had been the primary 
primary custodian of my daughter. And so I had pretty much stopped any smoking. I still have a few beers here and there, but I wasn't smoking because I didn't think it was the right thing to do around a two-year-old. And uh, then they disappeared. And that was that was all I needed. I was off to the races. Uh, I started drinking a lot. And tried drinking a lot. Um, I would uh, I would drink to excess just about every night. Uh-huh. I didn't have more than a six pack of uh, of beer on a given evening after work. Then something was wrong, and usually it was a lot more than that. Um, I got uh, got through losing the number of jobs because of um, my overall attitude because I was a drunk. I wouldn't be drunk in work, but it certainly was going to affect my attitude while I was there. And I was angry. I felt entitled. I uh, didn't know which way to go except for drinking and just kind of losing myself in as much stuff as I could. Uh-huh. I got married again, oddly enough, to someone that I met in a club while I was out playing and drinking. <laughs> and, uh, so she was my drinking buddy for a number of years. Then, uh, Towards the middle of the 90s, a uh, really crazy thing happened. We suddenly found out where my ex-wife was with my daughter. Hmm. And it had been 10 years since they uh, disappeared. So that set in motion a number of things. And... uh, Then one morning I get a call from my daughter because my ex-wife has taken a handful of pills and they can't wake her up. She had basically decided that she would commit suicide and her live-in boyfriend would attempt suicide while they had a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old in the house. Whoa. Now... This is kind of a big shock. For one, it meant I had an instant family. Um, it turns out that the nine-year-old was also mine as a result of an attempt very uh, three or four nights before she disappeared, an attempt by my uh, then-estranged wife to try and get me to take her back. Mm. Um, And the disappearance came as a result of uh, that not working. Mm -hmm. But as I say, I I digress. I had an instant family. And I should have been the happiest I ever was in my life. Instead, 
I felt overwhelmingly guilty because I didn't know if I was going to be a good father. I was guilty for no real reason that my ex had killed herself. Felt guilty that my children had been through all of that. And I didn't really know how to be a father, but I knew how to treat guilt. Mm. I applied lots of alcohol. So the first, the first few years that I had my instant family, I was a sloppy drunk. I would drink morning, noon, and night some days. I had my own business. So if I wanted to stop working at three in the afternoon and start drinking on beers, I could do it. If I wanted to take the day off and fire up the barbecue pit and start drinking beer at nine in the morning, I could do it. And I did. I would try and moderate sometimes, either by my own desire or by the um, sternly expressed desire of my partner at the time. And what would invariably happen is I could slow down for a few days. I might even stop for a few days. But if I stopped, I found something else I could do. And then as soon as I started back up again, it was the same as ever. And that went on until the summer of 1999 when things got more and more tense between my second wife and I and things were tense on one level between my children and I on another level between my second wife and my children. And one evening I was sitting at the computer in my office. I had probably had about 10 or 12 beers by that time. I was well into my cups. My wife came in and said something to me and I screamed at her. I called her several foul names and told her I wanted to divorce. Mm. And I went to the other end of the building because we were living in an old church at the time. So there was a lot of space to, to move around in because mm -hmm. of the apartment and the shops and all those. And the next day, someone suggested that maybe I might take a look at Alcoholics Anonymous. Now I knew where the club was. Um, I passed it all the time when I was going to the store. And uh, in Galveston, it was a little brick building on the corner of 33rd and P. And I found myself uh, not sure what to do that particular day. It was a Sunday. I drove over there in the middle of the afternoon and the doors were unlocked. 
I walked inside. There was no one there. But I looked at all these posters up on the wall. This net steps. Um, what? Traditions? Um, I don't know. Uh, one day at a time. Easy does it. Good grief. What's all this about? And I turned around and was going to head back to my car. And I probably would have gotten in my car and driven away and not made it back. Except this little old man rode up on a bicycle. And he had the biggest smile on his face. He introduced himself. His name was Gordon. And he said, well, hi, we're glad to see you here. We've got a meeting at 530. We hope you come back. Come on, <laughs> come on it'll, be good. it'll be good. And there was something about that man's infectious smile that made me want to come back. Huh. So I made it back. And the room was packed. I felt like hell. I was unsure of what to do. Couldn't imagine having any more to drink. Couldn't imagine not having any more to drink. But I also saw that I recognized a couple of people in that room. Because Galveston's a fairly small island. Mm. And uh, that made me feel a little bit more at ease. And I remember sitting through the meeting and thinking, why are these people talking about me? Because they'd be saying things that hit my story right on the head. Mm -hmm. Even though some of them were people that otherwise I couldn't relate to at all. But they had my story down. They had my feelings and what happened to me when I drank and the stupid things I would do. And they knew them all. Hmm. And I got called on near the end of the meeting. And I don't really remember what I said, except I did start out with, my name is Bill and I am an alcoholic. And someone suggested 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, that seemed like a lot at that first meeting. I think I made 89 meetings in 90 days. Because there was one night that I had to go to one of my children's choir event. But uh was completely, completely floored by the fact that it felt like I fit in. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to have a drink to fit in. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd sit and I'd listen and try and absorb. I read the book mm -hmm. and a lot of it hit home for me. Then about a month in, that particular club had a had a rule where anyone with more than 30 days sobriety could chair a meeting. And a month in, one of the regulars 
called me out at the beginning of the meeting and said, how much time do you have? Huh. And I said, I haven't mentioned yesterday. He said, okay, you're taking this meeting spot next week. Uh. And I knew the format, but I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And it turned out for me, that was good. Because I would sit down to start a meeting and I talk about what was on my mind. And I had a room full of people either telling me I was going in the right direction or that I was full of it and why and where I could go with what I was thinking. And it helped me grow a lot in those first months mm -hmm. to where I really enjoyed sharing a meeting once a week. I have been blessed that I've only gotten one desire chip in my 20 plus years. And it wasn't all through any means of mine. If I had had strong desire to drink in those first months, I don't know that I could have stopped. But higher power lifted that obsession from me until I was able to at least begin to deal with it. I remember being about three years in, the first time I had a strong, strong desire to drink. I had been in a big argument with someone close to me and I had left to go to my sponsors and the entire way to my sponsors, I'm thinking what I really want to do is stop at this little corner store here and grab a six pack and just go off somewhere. And on my other shoulder was this little little creature that kept going, no, you're not gonna stop. You're gonna drive straight over there. He's got a coffee. You just keep driving, don't stop. And I didn't stop. Mm -hmm. I made it over to my sponsors. We sat and talked for hours and that session was lifted. I have found in the years since that I don't have trouble being around alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, I still have family members who drink alcohol like normal people. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem being around them. They know that I'm, I'm in sobriety. They know not to offer me. When I'm offered drinks, I simply say, no thanks, I am allergic. Nice. Um, I've been very fortunate to have been part of several extremely good groups in the course of my sobriety. My first group, of course, was the 33rd Street group in Galveston, which it was, it was a group of people I would never have imagined to sit in the same room together because you had street people 
You had lawyers and doctors. You had businessmen. You had longshoremen and sailors mm-hmm. and ex-cons. There were people in those rooms that scared me until I heard them talk. I came to learn that I have to keep an open mind because I never know who is going to have my next lesson. I have found lessons from convicted killers. I have found lessons from people who just crawled out from under a bridge and lessons from people with three and four degrees. I never know where that lesson is going to come from. So I have to keep myself open for it every day. I uh, was also after 33rd Street Group, I was a member of a group called the Good or Nothing Group in Dickinson, Texas. Was there for about a year, and it was very fortunate that it was only about a five-minute trip from my house to the group there. So I would be there every evening. And the most notable thing about the Good for Nothing group is it was very large by virtue of a rather large recovery center that was not very far away from it. In fact, it was right across the street from where I was working at the time. And I learned how to sponsor at that group. Because before I had thought that I knew how to sponsor, but I was really not following it the way I should. I learned I learned through guiding some people who really had the willingness to get this right that I don't know that I could have mustered when I first came in. People who wanted this so bad that there was nothing that was going to stand in their way. And I grew a lot. I had one or two instances in the course of that uh, that year in Dickinson where, again, if I had found myself stopping between point A and point B, I would have gotten a drink. But that little guy on my shoulder kept saying, don't stop. Just keep going. You'll make it there fine. They have coffee. They have soda. You'll be fine. And I've got to keep listening to that little guy because right on the other shoulder, he, he has the bad ideas. You know, he's got all the ideas I used to listen to. Now, my uh, my current home group is a group called the, the River Group in San Marcos, Texas. 
which is a pretty amazing group of folks. It's a nice combination of old timers and youngsters because we've got a, a university right there. And again, you get a lot of lessons from people you don't expect to get lessons from. Now, I have, I confess, angered a number of people at the River Group in the past because I had a habit of thanking the people who come back from a relapse. Hmm. And they don't always take that the way I mean it. But when I say thank you to someone who's returned from a relapse, I try and explain. You're going out and coming back to tell us about it means that I can learn from your experience and I don't have to go out. Mm -hmm. And I had one young man who got just furious with me about that and stayed that way for well over a month until one Sunday I get a phone call at home from him. He had chased down my sponsor after a meeting to get my phone number. And I answered the phone. He tells me who it is and he said, I've been mad at you all this time because of what you said when I came back from my relapse. And then today I'm in a meeting and this kid comes in and he looks like hell. And he starts talking about having been sober for six months. Then he went back out and all these things happened. And all of a sudden I knew what you meant. And I don't thank them aloud anymore, but I thank them in my heart because they're teaching me the lesson I need to know that day. Because I know I've got another good drunk in me. I just don't know if I've got another sobering up in me. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to take the risks to find out. I've been blessed that I'm still able to work with people, sometimes in the rooms, sometimes out of the rooms. I found myself at work interacting with a street person a couple of times a week who would come in and borrow cigarettes from me when I was still smoking or a couple of dollars here or a couple of dollars there. And I always made a point of saying, here, you can, you can have this, you can do what you want to with it. But you know, if you ever want to stop doing the things you're doing, I'm happy to point you in the right direction because I've been there. And if a drunk like me can sober up, anybody can sober up. Mm -hmm. And 
Damnest thing one afternoon, this person came in my work and asked if I could give them a ride to a recovery center when I got off. I just went to my boss and I said, I got to take a couple hours this afternoon. It's okay. And there we went. Mm-hmm. I'm still in touch with this person online. They have stayed sober ever since. And it's been close to 10 years now. So it makes me feel good inside thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I can't always see what happens to the folks that I've met. I can see what happens to me from the folks that I met. And I hope that I can pass that along to others. Mm. Anyway, I am grateful to have had a chance to come here and talk. I thank you very much. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, we definitely have some questions for you. Um, Carly, would you like to go first or would you like Eric or I to go first? Um, why don't one of you guys go first? All right. Do, 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 do. All right. Let me pull up my questions here. Um, so, like, you talked about how uh, when you really got, like, your, your instant family back um and uh also when your wife initially left um that you you really the your addiction really took off um so why why do you think uh that like really dramatic changes or tragedies seem to be a catalyst for a lot of addicts because it it seems like a recurring theme in a lot of people's stories that when we go through difficult times, our sort of our default uh, mechanism is to turn to uh, whatever our uh, addiction is. So why, like, why was that for you? And, and maybe like, why, why do you think that is for like all addicts? I know with me that my drinking had always been something to change the way I felt. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I needed something to change the way I felt. Mm. So I felt I fell back on the easiest, closest, and most familiar thing there was. Mm-hmm. And that was drinking. Mm-hmm. All right. What you got, Eric? All right. So, um, Bill, you mentioned that you sponsored people. And I one one thing I'm always curious about is, you know, you, you've gone through the steps, correct? Yes, several okay. times. Okay. So, can you describe the difference and kind of what you get out of the steps? Like the... Um, you know, what, what reward do you get out of the steps working them with your sponsor compared to working them with a sponsee? Working them with my sponsor, I always find myself learning more about myself that I didn't really 
understand before, no matter how much I think I know myself, there are always little layers to be peeled away that someone else can see, but I keep hidden. And it's been that way every time I've gone through the steps. And with the different sponsors I've had over the years, they always find other little things and other little keys to turn. Um, one of my good friends and, and uh, a former sponsor uh, gave me one, one little hint that has just been marvelous to me ever since. And that is when I get mad, don't look at what it is that's getting me mad, but think back to what that reminds me of. Hmm. What button is that pushing? It's not that it's not that Jim Bob said this because I could let that slide off. It's that Jim Bob saying that reminded me of this thing over here that I haven't dealt with. And so I've got to deal with it. Got to write about it. I've got to talk about it. I've got to work through it. Maybe that button will go away. So I know when I get angry, I've got to look and see where is that anger actually coming from down deep? Mm. Because it's not always from what's right before my eyes. Mm. And, you know, further in the steps, working further gets, gets rid of a lot of fears I have. Mm -hmm. um, I had someone last summer about this time that I had steadfastly avoided making amends to for obviously close on 20 years. And I, uh, I just had the feeling this person was not going to want to hear word one from me um, and that that trying to make amends would do more damage than good um, would possibly hurt that individual um, and I put it off and I put it off and something told me on a trip to Galveston last summer, just make the call. And I did. And we had actually a very relaxed and comfortable conversation. Hmm. And my amends were accepted. Hmm. And there was no harm on either side. So, yeah, learning about myself and learning how to get rid of my fears, I think, are the, the biggest things that I get from working 
through the steps with my sponsor. Um, working through the steps with someone else as their sponsor opens my mind mm -hmm. because I may have a preconceived idea and I see their response is coming back to me and it opens up different channels. Mm -hmm. I was speaking about willingness earlier and um, that's always been a point that has um, that has been emotional for me. And that is because I was, I was requested by a young man in rehab to be his sponsor. And he was working very diligently. We sat down in a park, a little private spot uh, for him to go over his uh, inventory with me. And the things that he revealed to me were so personal and could have, in fact, um, could have resulted in his loss of freedom. But he wanted so much to be rid of this, this thing that had a hold of him that he was willing to open up to me. He was less than half my age. He was a different race, except that we both were in the same fellowship. There was no reason that he had to trust me. Everything about us was different, mm. but he was so intent on getting what we had in the program that he was not going to cut any corners. Mm. And I think about that every time I think of the word willingness. Nice. Awesome. All right, what you got, Carly? All right. Um, so I wanted to know um, what gifts has recovery given to you, whether it's externally, like steady job or family, or even internally, like the spiritual principles, like the willingness you just mentioned. And then on the flip side of that, like what have you been able to give back to the fellowship? So how have you been of service? Well, <laughs> the gifts that I have received are a good relationship with both of my children. Mm. And uh, three marvelous grandchildren who've never seen me in any way intoxicated. I have a beautiful wife who herself has never seen me in any way intoxicated. And in fact, 
probably would not be with me if she had ever seen me in any way intoxicated. I have a career that I love and I get to interact with a wide variety of people and a lot of children, which to me is a blessing because I missed the uh, early years of my own children. Mm. Also in my job, like I said, I get to interact with a lot of people that might someday make it to this program. Mm. Um, I was, I I was encountering uh, a few months back a gentleman who was uh, more than a little intoxicated <laughs> on a bottle of vodka. Um, and uh, he and one of my co-workers had gotten into a verbal altercation and I was able to step in and start talking to him and explaining to him calmly that, you know, we, we wanted him there, but as long as he was intoxicated like that, he couldn't be there. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I'm a drunk. This is what I do. And I said, I understand. I've been there. And I spoke calmly to him. I addressed him as sir. And by the end of about 10 minutes, He was very calm. He got up and left the building. And there were no, there were no problems, no big altercations. And I see having an understanding of where he was as being a blessing I have been given in this program. Mm Where I can try to give back is obviously sharing my experience, my strength, and my hope, but also in service. Sometimes that service is big. I have served as an officer in groups before, both as a, as a chairperson, um, leading meetings as a uh, GSR, and uh, for a brief time as a treasurer as well for another group. Um, I have found myself fixing gumbo for 450 hours. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of help. (laughs) Um, And serving it was rather an adventure, too. (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, I, I found that I know a cake recipe that Alcoholics will devour in an instant on birthday night. Is it rum cake? So, rum cake? No. <laughs> it's actually, it's, I could see that going over well, yes. <laughs> it's called Pig's Pickens. You take a, a, butter, a butter cake mix, and instead of the water that the recipe calls for, you use an entire can of mandarin oranges, juice and all. Mm. Oh, wow. You've got a full stick of butter, three eggs, and a can of mandarin oranges. Then that cooks up. 
that's real moist. It has all these chunks of oranges in it. Then you frost it with Cool Whip, vanilla instant pudding mix, and crushed pineapple. Oh. Mixed up, and it's just a dream. Yeah. There's something about that. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> once, once you've tried it, yes, it disappears at birthday night. <laughs> Eric won't eat it. He's not a cake guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for the shrug. All right. So my second question. All right. Um, so you've worked all 12. So I, yes. I want to know, you can only pick one. What is your favorite step? Ooh, he's thinking. <laughs> or we lost him. You still there, Bill? Sharing my inventory with <laughs> okay. my sponsor. So five? Um, at first, it scared the hell out of me. But then I realized that that was one of the real keys to this program. Is sharing it with someone who can look at each bit and help me understand where in my head this is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it in its in its uh, most basic form, to me, is it shows me what my buttons are and how I react to them and how. I see, I can see these buttons starting to pop up, getting ready to be hit. And if I know what these buttons are and I can sense that they're getting ready to be hit, I can learn how to deal with them and take that button away. Maybe not forever, but I can learn how to not do stupid stuff Mm -hmm. because of other stuff through sharing what I have done and what I have thought with someone else who can then help me to learn Mm -hmm. from this. Hmm. All right. It's a good, that's a good uh, answer. You okay? It's a good pick. Good. Yeah. All right. I think I'm okay. Yeah. It seems like you're you're doing a little bit of a stutter, but all right. On to the next question. Um, This is what we don't get when you're on the no, phone, right? They, yeah, the, the so, repartee. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we change a lot through this process. And, you know, one of the areas that we talk about a lot is spirituality. And how, Bill, has your spirituality changed and evolved since that, you know, since the day before Y2K happened and we entered this post-apocalyptic you know, place we live in now in 2020 to now. I've already been gearing up for my, my Mad Max uniform change. I'm really excited. Are, are you asking how I have changed? Yeah. How has your spirituality evolved more? Not, not like um, um, specifically spirituality. <sighs> I am a lot calmer a lot more reasoned 
than I ever was before. Um, I don't, I don't react in haste to things in the way that I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I can still get very emotional about things. Um, watching the news, I get very emotional these days. Um, but not in the way that's going to make me go and, and sit down and, uh, you know, fill up a bunch of Molotov cocktails. <laughs> uh, it, I am, I'm much calmer. It is very, very difficult to get me angry. Um, which is a good thing because I was a very angry young man. Yeah. And now I'm a much calmer old man. Uh, and I can't, I can't ascribe that to anything but working the steps, learning how to, to see and to deal with my emotions and with, the peculiarities of where my brain wants to take me sometimes. Um, I can I can find myself seeking solutions instead of jumping into problems. Hmm. And that itself may be the largest of the changes I've seen. Hmm. Awesome. All right, Carly, back to you. What you got? All right. Um, so you mentioned that, like, being having Scottish heritage. And for me, I am Irish, so a big part of my family was drinking. Like, every holiday, every family gathering, everything was revolved around drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having... You know, alcohol is like an integral part of the Scottish life. So, like, what was it like getting sober, having that heritage? Was there were there expectations from your family to continue to drink? Hmm. Um, actually, no. Um, everyone in my immediate family was incredibly supportive, except for my second wife, who thought I joined a cult. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, no, my, my siblings, my parents, uh, or my, my mother and stepfather, um, my siblings were all incredibly supportive. And um, by the time I'd gotten sober, I'd had very limited interaction with the extended family of cousins and the likes of that. So um, I didn't have, uh, didn't have necessarily those those Scots and Irish and English out there. I know I was, uh, everyone was very supportive with the exception, like I say, of my second wife who thought I didn't have a drinking problem. I was just depressed and I had joined a cult. Hmm. Well, if this is a cult, it's the best cult I've ever been a part of. And, me I, too. and I have been a part of many cults, believe me. <laughs> Wait. No, I haven't. No, never mind. Scratch that. Yeah. That was some other guy. Yeah, that was that was a different David. 
Different David, different amount of Kool-Aid. <laughs> Wasn't de- definitely not me. Um, do you have any more questions? Uh, I, I am he was out. dead when I got up to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't think. <laughs> do you have any more questions, Carly? I am out of questions. Nope, I'm good to go. All right, Eric. You can see it now. You can see. I can. I can see yeah. the thumbs you, up. You can I'm, see I'm me. I'm very happy. I mean, we're like eight feet apart, probably. I know, but it, it's, it's magical. It's so awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest Bill for joining us this evening. Woo! Woo! Golf clap. Oh, thank you very much. Absolutely. And we're going to give you uh, a quick minute to talk to. Everybody who's listening out there, anybody who's struggling and needs to hear that that extra little oomph, that little extra message of uh, hope, what do you have to say to them? Well, if you don't feel like you fit in, if you think that without having a drink or lighting up a joint or doing any one of different things, that you just can't be normal or be like everybody else well come into the rooms and you find people that you don't think are at all like you are just like you Mm -hmm. you can learn lessons from people who might scare you until you get that lesson Mm -hmm. people who you might have looked down on until you get that lesson. People who thought, who you thought, well, they're up there, they're not going to pay attention to me until you got that lesson. And you realize we're all in that same boat. Yeah. And we're all in the boat. We all get to row and we will make it to land. Mm. That's pretty much what I've got this evening. All right. Perfect. Love it. Awesome. All right. Well, we would like to thank you again. And here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, Make sure you go check out all of our episodes on uh, podcastrecovery.com, and you can also get more information about Eric, Carly, Allie, and myself. Check out our Facebook, our Twitter, Instagram, our YouTube channel. Um, If you want to help us uh, get new mic stands and some extra equipment around here because you love us so much, check out our Patreon, our Venmo, our PayPal, and uh, yeah, support your local podcast. Uh, But most importantly, everybody, stay safe, stay clean.